Um, we've, we've been talking, we just started this series about discipleship. Uh, we're in the book of James, but uh, we've, we've talked about what it means to disciple, and we've defined discipleship as being a disciple is a, a, someone who follows Jesus, right? Who's changed by Jesus and who's committed to the mission of Jesus. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus is changed by Jesus and is committed to the mission of Jesus. Last week uh, in James 1, we talked about trials and we talked about how uh, a disciple deals with trials. Today, we're talking about how a disciple handles temptation. It's, uh, it's going to come straight from scripture, but, but w- you understand that there's a difference between trials and temptation, right? Trials are those things that happen to us that, that God places in our lives so that we can grow and mature. That God allows to happen so that, so that we can, as we deal with those things, trust him more. So that we can mature and endure. And as verse 12 of James 1 says, so that we can ultimately, when we handle those trials well, we can receive the crown of life. Incredibly cool promise. Temptation is different than trials because trials don't really have anything to do with sin. They're just stuff that happens in our life and they allow us to grow and mature. Sin can come from trials, right? We can, we can uh, as a result of trials, we can have broken relationships with God. We can have broken relationships with people. We can get angry because of the trials that exist in our lives. We can get bitter. We can isolate ourselves. We can do all that stuff. All that stuff, sin can happen from trials, but that's not why trials in our life. Trials are, are in our lives to help us grow. Temptation, though, is all about sin. It's all about how we handle the issue of sin and the, and the opportunity that sin has for us in our lives. Temptation clarifies the condition of our heart before God. When we encounter temptation and we choose either to engage in sin or to, or to run away from sin, it reveals the condition of our heart and our relationship with Jesus. Um, if you've got your Bibles, take them out and turn to James chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 13, which is right after where we finished last week. Chap- uh, chapter 1, verse 13. Um, and listen to what James writes. Let no one say when he is tempted... I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Temptation is something that we all deal with. And there's some important things that we've got to grasp out of this passage of scripture this morning. If we're serious about being a disciple of Jesus, if we're serious about following him, some things that we've got to grasp. The first thing is this, God is never the source of temptation in our lives, right? God may allow us to be tempted, but God is never the source of temptation in our lives because God is wholly good. We talked about his holiness. We sang about his holiness just a second ago. God's character is, is uh, it never changes. It's, it's above reproach. God's, God's holiness is who he is. 
And God never tempts us with evil. If God tempted us with evil, if God was the source of that evil, he wouldn't be good, right? He couldn't be good. So it's important to know that God is never the source of our temptations. But our temptation can come from Satan, right? Satan can tempt us. If you think about the life of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, it describes just a real critical time at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Jesus has just seen John the Baptist. He's just been baptized. Um, God has said to him at that point in time, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And, and the, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, leads Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted. Uh, Matthew chapter 4 says this, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter, the devil, Satan, came to him and said, if you're the son of God, take these stones and turn them into bread. Satan was the source of temptation for Jesus in the wilderness. It wasn't Jesus uh, unto himself. It wasn't that God um, was tempting him. Satan was the source of that. To try, and find, to try and get Jesus to take a different path than God had laid out for him. Um, later in Jesus' ministry in Mark chapter 8, Jesus is talking to the disciples. And, uh, and, and something really interesting happens. This is Mark chapter 8 verse 31. Jesus began to teach them, to teach the disciples that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days, rise again. And Jesus said this plainly. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. For you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Can you imagine that encounter? Jesus is teaching the disciples. He's talking to them, and he says, this is, what, this is the deal. You understand that I am God's son, but this is what it's going to look like. I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to die. I'm going to be rejected by all the religious leaders. Everybody's going to turn their back on me, and I'm going to suffer and die. And Peter's there thinking, that's not the way it should happen. That's not the way it should happen at all. So he pulls Jesus aside and says, Jesus, it's not going to be that way. We're going to take care of you. It's not going to be that way. And Jesus looks Peter in the eyes and says, get behind me, Satan. Can you imagine Jesus saying that to you? Wow. Why did he say that? Because what Peter in his mind thought was a great thing it was an idea that had been planted by Satan. And what was Satan trying to get Jesus to do? He was trying to get Jesus to take a different path than the cross, right? He was trying to, take, trying to get Jesus to take a shortcut and to allow the disciples to protect him so that Jesus wouldn't have to suffer and wouldn't have to die. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Satan can be the source of our temptation or temptation can come from our own desires. Back in the 1970s, there was a, 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 a t television show called The Flip Wilson Show. 
Um, first service, there were more people that kind of laughed at that because they remembered. They, they were older, I think. Um, Flip Wilson was a comedian, and he did this variety show and uh, did lots of bits, that kind of stuff. One of his characters was a, uh, was a woman named Geraldine that he portrayed. And, um, and Geraldine would always get herself into trouble. She'd do stuff, and then she would, uh, her line that she would say was, the devil made me do it. Um, uh, some of you, yeah, I remember that. What's, what's crazy to me as I reflect on our culture, that line, the devil made me do it, became a line that was on t-shirts, on all kinds of stuff. And there was this sense of when temptation came, that Satan made us fall. That Satan was responsible entirely for our alienation from God. That whenever we messed up, it was Satan's fault. And we didn't take responsibility James says just the opposite. He says, each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Most of the time when we sin, hear this, most of the time when we sin, we sin simply because we want to. It's not because anyone's making us do it. It's not because we're deceived. It's not because we're tricked. We make a choice to do what we want rather than what God wants. We choose to trust ourselves rather than God. We're, our, the desire that we have, we're enticed by that. And we follow it rather than listening to the word of God. That, that word entice that's there the, in the original language is an interesting word. It's, it's the word that means taken with a bait. Um, I, I don't know if you noticed or not, but this morning there is a, a significantly less population of men um, in worship this morning. Do you know why that is? It's the first day of bow season, right? Lots of guys. Or after, I, after first service, some people came and said, well, um, one of them came and said, my husband got two bucks this morning already. You know, if, you're, if you are a deer hunter, if you're a deer hunter, what do you spend your summer doing? putting apples out, you know, putting the salt out, doing something so that you can create an environment for the deer that they think, this is a safe place. I need to eat. I can come get a free meal here. You, you prey on that desire that exists in the deer so that on October 1st, the first day of season, you can be up in that chair 15 or 18 feet above the ground looking down at that deer and fire away and take that deer's life. It's the deer's desire that gets him in trouble, right? Each of us are tempted when we're carried away and enticed by our own desire. It's that picture of when you go fishing, the, the lure that goes into the water, and the fish say, Ah, oh, sparkly, nice, go get it. And as soon as they latch onto that, the hook grabs them and takes them. Our own desire is the cause of our temptation. Hear this real, really clearly. If there, is, if there is just a single thought that I hope you can walk away with today, it's this. It's time for us to man up and take responsibility for sin in our lives. It's time for us to take responsibility for the temptation that exists in our lives and to stop blaming it on circumstances, to stop blaming it on being tired, to stop blaming it on anything except our own desire. James says, each person is tempted when they are enticed 
by their own desire. That's where the temptation comes from. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus, who's changed by Jesus, who's committed to the mission of Jesus. A disciple is not someone who does what he wants, when he wants, and how he wants. Our relationship with Jesus should change that. That relationship with Jesus, when we're his disciple, it means that we would say no to temptation. Following Jesus means saying no to temptation. We, we, we want so badly to walk close to the edge, right? And so we say, okay, there's temptation. I can get right up to it, and I'm okay, as long as I don't go over the line. We want to experience that. What causes that? It's our desire, right? Our desire not for God, but for pleasure or comfort or an adrenaline rush or for recognition, the Apostle John wrote, and he said, you know what, temptation is all around us. And he described it in, in three phrases that, that covered everything. It consists of the lust of the eyes. That we look around and we see stuff that we want. We see that. Uh, lust of the flesh, stuff that makes us feel good. And the pride of life, stuff that gives us recognition that makes other people think that we're great. He said, everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, lust, pride of life, it comes not from the Father, but from the world. It's time for us to recognize that those things are temptation for us, to put our big boy pants on and say no to sin. We often say when we're tempted, you know what, I was so caught up in that temptation, I just couldn't say no. There was no way for me to say no. You know what, that's a bunch of bunk. We can say no. We just choose not to, right? When you're sitting down in the living room at night ready to eat that third piece of pie, and we say, it's so good, I can't say no. Yeah, you can. All you have to do is take the plate and put it in the dishwasher, right? Shut the door. Sit down by yourself. That's all it takes. When, when we're driving on the road and somebody cuts us off and we get so mad and we say, I can't help myself. I've got to get my spot back. I'm, that guy took it from me. When, I, can't, I can't say no. Yeah, you can. All you have to do is press the cruise control button and get in the right lane, right? That's all you have to do. Take some deep breaths and it's done. Teenagers often say when, when they're in a relationship at a level of intimacy that is beyond what they should be in. Uh, a level of intimacy, adults say this as well, a level of intimacy that should be reserved for marriage. And they say, you know, once we started kissing, we couldn't stop. We just couldn't say no. We couldn't stop. Yeah, you could. You know what? If her dad walked in the room, when you were doing that, you would have stopped. If the light was on and there was a younger sibling that walked in, you would have stopped. You know what? If there was a crisis, you would have stopped. We can say no. We just choose not to. Temptation makes sin look so good, though, doesn't it? We focus on how it looks and we think, I want that. 
I need that. that. That'll help me so much. Temptation makes sin look so good. There's this cave in southern Mexico called the Cave of the Lighted House, Cueva de Via Luz. Um, it, this, this particular cave is, is pretty incredible in that it's in the middle of a tropical rainforest. So there's this, this rich vegetation, all kinds of animals, incredibly cool stuff. In the cave is, the, is water. There 20 different springs feed the water inside this cave. Um, there's all kinds of fish that, that are unique to that particular area. Incredibly beautiful place. But if you go into that cave, you will die. Because the springs that feed that water are full of sulfuric acid. You can't go in there without a gas mask. That's like temptation. It looks good. It looks so pretty on the outside. But we go there and we give in and it kills us. You know, so much of the time, when, we're, when we face temptation, we picture what it will be like to give in to temptation. Oh, that's going to feel so good. That will make me uh, such a better person. We, we picture all of the good stuff that will come if we say yes to temptation. And what we fail to do is to picture the results of when we give in. So if you're being tempted by an affair, you think, you know what? This will be so great. This person meets all my needs. You know, they, they understand me. They love me in a way that no one else does. And we don't picture, okay, what's it going to be like to tell my husband or wife that our marriage is over? What's it going to, be look, what's it going to look like to tell my kids to look them in the eyes and say, you know what? I'm not going there. I'm not going to be here anymore. I still love you, but we're not going to be together again. We don't picture when, when we're in that road rage incident and, and, and we're so determined to get our place back and to exercise our rights and do all that stuff. We don't picture in our mind when the cars are off the road turning over and somebody's been killed. We don't picture what it looks like as a result of the choices that we make. You know, we... we sit down and are doing our taxes and we think, ah, you know what, it's not going to matter that much if I, if I don't include that on my return. Uh, yeah, if I inflate that number, you know what that'll do? That'll give me more money and, and, and we can go on a cruise. We can buy the car. We can get out of debt, whatever it is. If, if we just do that, we picture all the benefits that will come from that and we don't picture the setting of an IRS agent coming into work and saying, we need to audit your books. We don't picture what it would look like for the police to come in, put us in cuffs, and take us away. Temptation is so alluring from a distance. But if, but if we're going to give in to our imagination, man, you've got you to see the whole picture. Temptation clarifies the condition of our heart. James says, each one's tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. When lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. When sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do do you see the progression that's there that James says? When lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. There's the picture of conception. This temptation that's there that when we give in, something comes alive. 
and it grows. And it continues to grow until it reaches full maturity. And when it reaches full maturity, it causes death for us. One commentator said, the picture that's here is a picture of a parasite that gets in your body. It's tiny. But once that parasite takes residence inside your facility, it begins to destroy you from the inside out. It grows. It grows. It grows. Until ultimately it kills. You know what's funny to me when I think about temptation? I, I've grown up in the church and, and, and I always thought, you know, if you avoid temptation... Uh, what's there to, uh, how do you live life if you just avoid temptation? If we just avoid temptation, life would be so boring, right? You know, if, if you weren't ever tempted, life would, anybody ever think that? I, I did. And so we live on the edge to think, you know what? I can still say no. I can, I can still do this particular thing and still say no and be on the edge. And, and that's a whole lot more exciting. You know, it's how far out can I get? It's still not cross the line. I didn't fall for a service, but I will now. Um, the crazy thing is we don't know what it's going to take to push us over the edge. We don't know what the circumstances will be that will allow us to cave in to that temptation. So the question is, if you're a disciple of Jesus, how do you deal with temptation? What do you do? I want to give you, I want to give two thoughts and then, then we're going to look at another verse of scripture that kind of fleshes that out even a little bit more. Um, your relationship with Jesus is what determines, what defines your response to temptation. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, it's pretty easy to fall because you've got nothing that keeps you from that, right? But if your relationship with Jesus is solid, if you know that he loves you and you love him, all of a sudden the landscape is different. Temptation clarifies the condition of your heart. If you love your wife, the last thing that you want to do is hurt her. If you love your kids, the last thing you'd want to do is to be an embarrassment to them because of your poor choices. If you love Jesus with your whole heart, temptation is still very real, but God provides some ways for us to deal with it very effectively. If you want to be a disciple, how do you, how do you deal with temptation? The first thing that you can do is just flee. Just flee. Run away. Run away, run away, run away. We talked this summer about Joseph in the Old Testament. If you remember the story of Joseph, Potiphar's wife is coming on to Joseph. Joseph is young, he's handsome, and Potiphar's wife wants to sleep with him. She keeps badgering him, badgering him, finally grabs him and says, come to bed with me, and takes him by the coat and is pulling him towards the bedroom. And Joseph pulls out of his coat and runs away. He flees the situation. That's a great picture for us of what we need to do when temptation comes, to just simply flee. You don't have to stand on the edge of the cliff in the middle of a hurricane to see how strong you are. Just run away, run away. Charles Spurgeon, a preacher from the 19th century who was very famous, wrote these words. He said this, What settings are you in when you fall? Avoid them. What props do you have that support your sin? Eliminate them. What people are you usually with when you sin? Avoid them. Learn to say no. It will be of more use to you than to be able to read Latin. Only Spurgeon would say that, I think. Um, Learn to say no. 
It's one of the most valuable things that you can do. If you're a disciple of Jesus, when temptation comes, run away. That's one option. The second option is this. It's to fight, to fight Satan. Recognize the source of your temptation. That source of your temptation, it may be Satan, but it may be your own desire. Recognize where that comes from first, and then um, take a look and try and identify the cause, the reason why it's a temptation for you. Why is it that you're being tempted? Is it that you're being tempted so that your life will be more comfortable? Is it that you're being tempted so that an, a particular appetite can be fed? Are you being tempted so that your reputation will change? Are you being tempted because you're afraid? Try and figure out why it is that that temptation is so real for you at this time. And then repel it with scripture. That was the example of Jesus in Matthew 4. Satan said, you haven't eaten for 40 days, 40 nights. There are stones, you can make them into bread. Go ahead and do it. And Jesus said, you know what? Scripture says, man can't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, for most of us, we think, you know what? I don't have all of Scripture memorized. It was easy for Jesus because he's the one who wrote the book, right? Um, Jesus knew it all. Jesus, Jesus could, could quote all Scripture. I don't, I'm not there. But for most of us, we know biblical principles and truth. We don't have to have the exact words necessarily, but, we, but we're able to identify what God tells us in his word to fight temptation. So, if you're having trouble being a good steward, you've got a lot of money on your credit cards, you know, maybe you're upside down on your car, but you're, as a person, you love cars, because everybody in Michigan loves cars, right? Um, and, and, and you just have this thing for new cars, um, how do you deal with that temptation to get a new car that you can't afford? Well, the easiest thing to do is to not go to a car lot, right? To not stop there and have that conversation. To not spend the time on Craigslist or eBay looking at new cars. If that's a temptation for you, don't flee. Don't, don't put yourself in that environment. But when the guy comes in your office and says, Hey, you know what? We're going to get a new car. We've got this two, 2017 SUV. It's only got 8,000 miles on it. I know you love cars. You want to buy it? You go through that process of saying, okay, is this from my own desire? Is it from Satan? And you, and you check that one off and say, it may be Satan, it may, may be my own desire, but boy, I, I want that car. You know, I want to feel that car in my hands. I want to smell that new car smell. Ask the question, why is this such an issue for me? What, what is it? And, and, and that's a hard question because then you, then you stop and think, you know, I, I think I like new cars so much because everyone that I've always thought of as successful drove new cars. And I think if I drive a new car, People think I'm successful. That's, that's why I want it so much. And then you come to the last question, which is, okay, what's God's word say in this whole process? Because you recognize that that reputation, that success thing is not what life's about, right? You already have three cars for two drivers at your house. Your credit cards are already maxed out. You don't have the resources to be able to buy 
that thing that you want. And you hear the voice of Scripture saying, the voice of Paul saying, I've learned to be content in every circumstance. You hear Jesus saying, you know what? If you've got two robes, give one to somebody in need. Don't hold on to it. And Scripture begins to work on you and gives you the ability to say, you know what? As much as I love that car, as much as I'd like to drive that car, I don't need it. You, you need to talk to somebody else. And you deal with temptation in that fight mode very clearly, very directly. If gossip is an issue for you, if you have a temptation to gossip, you walk into the room and people are talking, the first thing, the best thing you can do is just run the other way. Just don't get engaged in the conversation at all. That's that flee response. That's a legitimate response all the time. But if you want to fight, you walk into that conversation and, and you hear the voice of God. You hear the voice of God saying, you know what? The eighth commandment that says don't steal, that doesn't just mean money. That means somebody's reputation. And I'm not going to let you steal that person's reputation. I, I know that God made everyone in his image. They have value. And I'm not going to let you degrade that person that you're talking about. So you jump in that conversation and, and you don't just not say anything. You jump in and say, you know what? I know this, this, and this about that person and they're a good person. They've got good qualities. I don't know what happened, but we don't know that that's true. And then you begin to fight for their reputation in the midst of that conversation. That's how you fight gossip. It's not by being a passive participant. It's by either getting away or jumping in and defending the person that's being gossiped about. James, James gives us clear instruction that he kind of fleshes that out in chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Let me, let me just read uh, verse 4 and 5 before, before we get there. But listen to what James says later in the book. You adulteresses, you two-timing betrayers, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. James says, you know what? You want to figure out how to deal with temptation? Submit to God. Obey God. Do what God has called you to do. Resist Satan. Push him back. Fight him. And Satan will flee. Resist him with the word of God. Draw near to God. Find your relationship in God in such a way that it defines every other aspect of your life. And God will draw near to you. And when you mess up, Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. Temptation clarifies the condition of our heart, even when we fail. If we're a disciple of Jesus, it draws us back to him. Charles Spurgeon, the, the preacher that I quoted just a moment ago, said, there are two equally damning lies Satan wants us to believe. Just once won't hurt. And two... Now that you've ruined your life, you're beyond God's use, and you might as well enjoy sinning. Have you heard those voices from Satan in your ears before? Just one time. 
Just this once. Nobody will ever know. Just once. You did it, didn't you? You messed up. You blew your relationship with God. He doesn't want anything to do with you ever again. Hear these words from the Apostle John. When, when we sin, when we give in to temptation, don't be buried by that. Hear these words from the Apostle John. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. When we confess, God is there to forgive us and to reinstate us. Chapter 2 of First John uh, John says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the world. When we mess up, Jesus stands before God as our advocate and takes our sin on himself if we allow him to do so. So we think, oh man, maybe I should live on the line. Maybe I should uh, live on that edge of temptation. Because if I, if I give in to temptation, God's there and he's going to forgive me. Jesus is going to stand. Paul writes to the Romans and says, what shall we say? Should we continue to sin so that grace can increase? No way. We are those who have died to sin. We can't live in it any longer. A disciple is somebody who follows Jesus, who's changed by Jesus, who's committed to the mission of Jesus. If you're serious about being a disciple of Jesus, you've got to deal with this issue of temptation. We have to deal with this issue of temptation. We've got to find our relationship in Jesus and let that permeate every aspect of our lives. We've got to flee. We've got to fight. We can't give in. Um, at my dad's funeral on Tuesday, my brother-in-law got up to talk. We had a sharing time, and my brother-in-law uh, told a story that most of us in our family had not heard before. About uh, 15 years ago, my brother um, failed morally. Uh, he and my, my sister had been married for about 30 years, and, um, and he messed up. And he talked about driving to my mom and dad's house and sitting in the car in front of their house getting ready to go talk to them and to ask for their forgiveness and to just tell them what had happened. And um, he said he sat in the car and wept that he had fallen into temptation, knowing that his life would never be the same and, and believing at that point that he would never see my mom and dad again because of what he'd done. He went in and talked to my mom and dad. My mom and dad listened to him and loved on him, forgave him, and prayed for him. And, and this was the part I hadn't heard before. My mom and dad invited my brother-in-law to stay in their home while he worked through all the mess of that situation. That's an incredible picture of forgiveness. An incredible picture of forgiveness. And that's the picture of God for us. When we mess up, when we fall into temptation, God's there ready to surround us. But man, our relationship with him has got to be such that we fight it, that we don't give in. Let's pray. 
God, I just ask right now that you'd fill us with your, with your spirit, with your presence. And that we would see with your eyes that we would see the severity of temptation in our lives. That we wouldn't be able to just play it off and say it's no big deal anymore. Because God, anything that separates us from you is huge. It's monumental. God, we thank you so much that Jesus is our advocate, that he stands with us, and that when we, when we ask for forgiveness, that he's faithful and just and will forgive. God, do your work in us that we might stand in your presence now and for eternity, faultless and blameless because of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Let's stand together, let's sing.